Welcome to Interscription. It's a double header of engrossing, or just grossing, content, as Rich and I discuss Bo is Afraid, along with this week's full release of Bethesda Starfield. We also briefly pause to give our reviews of Soccer Weather, Jackson Pollock paintings, and John Wick 4's law enforcement problem, most of which are topics we are quite qualified to discuss. Thanks for staying on this road with us. Ah, happy sunny Friday morning to you. Happy sunny Friday morning. The sun is out. The rain is not out. Did you get that crazy rain yesterday? Was there crazy rain? No, I didn't actually get any rain. And mm-hmm. uh, it was so hot yesterday that soccer was canceled for my daughter uh-huh. because they just could not be outside in over 100 degrees uh, up in Pennsylvania. So, yeah, no, the rain would have been nice. Uh, the day before, my son had soccer, and they did not cancel it, and that kid was just melting into the grass. It's like God watching people play soccer in jello. That is so awful. Last, uh, yesterday-ish into last night, uh, up here, um, was heading over to uh, an errand during the afternoon, and I had this, it was very surreal looking up in the sky. There was a, it was big, you know, blue, blue sky, puffy clouds, very nice looking directly above me. And I had to take a left to go around the block to get to my destination. And when I took a left and I kind of like looked up for a second, I could see like this, this black gray cloud shelf that was just like somebody had like torn a piece of paper and it was like half blue sky half whatever the fuck that was and i was like oh i guess some shit's coming and then i uh don't even make it to the end of that street and i had one of those thunderclaps that just like it i could feel it all the way through my car like it was just this loud terrible sound and Man, it was, it was insane. I, I, uh, it was like, it was like everything was like fighting itself to kind of, you know, stay where it needed to be. Like the, like half of the sky wanted to be happy, half of it didn't. And I, I, so anyway, that was like kind of the precursor to it being, uh, pretty gnarly yesterday. I was, uh, I was quite, quite, uh, and then it actually came down buckets for most of the, most of the evening. I think that was at least in our area where it was kind of finally breaking the heat because we had very similar heat all week and, yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, hopefully you guys are going to get that break soon too. Yeah. A little cooler today, which is good, but you know, going into the weekend, we've got soccer, 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 soccer. I really want one of these kids to take up volleyball or basketball or video games would be absolutely fantastic. <laughs> Muted violin, please. Would yeah, that, that's high up on the list. Um, you know, it's funny. Usually, you know, the top of the show, we talk a little bit about, what we've been, you know, watching or playing. But, uh, you know, I realized this week, you know, we had a very shared, very lived um, experience of a movie that I think deserves more than just kind of passing chat. And then it's Starfield week. So I was hoping to just kind of tear the lid off both of those guys. We should get in there. What um, should we do the... I don't know what you do first, because I don't know that you can follow Bo is Afraid. No, I, but I also... think we start with Bo is Afraid, and then we roll into the hope and wonder that is the wider universe that we can escape this rock of doom for. 
Yeah. Yes, it is a rock of doom, especially when your mother secretly and not so secretly fucking hates you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we, I guess, waited for each other in this one. You know, we also watched um, John Wick 4 over last weekend, which you had seen. And uh, my tradition has been watching all four of those with you. And it was a very fun ride. You know, I don't have too much to say about it and I don't want to kind of spill fill space with it, but... If you like Keanu Reeves doing gun kung fu, then this is another movie for you. Would be and if you don't like those things, then don't talk to me anymore. Yeah, then, you know, they always say, you know, smash that subscribe button. And I'm going to say smash it again because this isn't the podcast for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, seriously. It's uh, wow. That was uh, yeah, I, it was great to have you know, rewatched it uh, with you. We always have a more critical lens on those, and that's it, it was fun. It's a outstanding uh, ride, incredibly long. I forgot that that was three hours until I checked it for our times, and like, um, I think it moved at a pace. I think that's something that would have felt longer in a theater when you couldn't really get up, you know. So, I, I think it was good that we got to at least have a break or two in there, and, yeah, you know fiddle around to go get food or whatever we were doing so it's um but yeah really cool i i I think um i think we started talking a bit they're they're gonna they have the one a movie set within that universe coming out called ballerina then they have a prequel series called the continental coming out on peacock and uh, i want to say very soon actually this month next month something um and so um both look to be you know just anecdotally obviously just trailers and images and stuff but from what i've seen both look like more fun in that universe and uh and i'll take it it's uh it, it is uh delicious it is always delicious even when it falters a little bit or gets over serious in ways that you know are over agenda it's it's it, it works super super well it's always fun i'm always having a good time yeah no you have to go into it thinking about it more like a graphic novel than you know anything that's reality based you know i realized near the end of that movie which it took me four movies to realize that there isn't a cop anywhere in sight in this universe. Uh, you know, there are people in the streets just opening fire on each other. And like, that's just the alternate universe that they live in where, you know, these assassins are just a normal part of society. And you know, there is no law enforcement because uh, they would just get riddled with bullets and got that one scene in the rotunda in France where all these cars are just driving by. And like, in one sense, it's totally ridiculous because, you know, if I saw like an open gun warfare thing like in the circle, I'd probably take a detour. But you like realize that, you know, these people who are just human fodder, like this is just life. Like they're just living in Grand Theft Auto is what John Wick is. Like it's that universe made real. And sometimes people are just going to rip you out of a car and take it. And sometimes you're going to smash into a dude. But, you know, you got to get to your nine to five. And that's the only way. The only way out is through, and in this case, it is through a bunch of meat puppets who are shooting each other. Sorry, boss. I uh, they messed up my coffee, and also they tore my dar off on the way here. So <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah, that was fun, and it probably didn't adequately prepare me for the Ari Asher joint that is uh, Bo is afraid. Bo's afraid. Talk about like living in GTA. If you start that movie and watch that first half hour of it, like that is also exactly that. Like it is just another place where there's no law enforcement whatsoever. Yeah. You know, it's so I didn't really know what to expect. I think I 
very loosely thought that it was going to have more of a creepy big fish vibe. If you remember that movie that was kind of like magical realism and goofy stuff happening. And, you know, we saw that in the theater together. Yeah. 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 Uh, Some of the trailers, I think in particular played up the one portion in the woods with the play and sort of superimposed Mm -hmm. that imagery on a lot of things to make it seem more like it was very much a psychological kind of fanciful thing. And, when you get into it, it's really not like it's really quite literal. This is just what's happening to this guy. You know, there's no internal layer of, you know, fiction. And it's just actually weird, creepy people all the time doing terrible things. Um, I don't need, I mean, how do you even, would you recommend this movie to anybody? And if so, what is your elevator pitch for the three hours you're asking for them? I think I said to you on the couch when we were finished um, that this is a movie that I will think about for the rest of my life. Um, And I don't know that that's necessarily a great endorsement for this movie, but I will always think about it. I will always come back to it and think about this movie and it's, it's finely honed craft towards the, the just chaos and chicanery that's going on on the screen. It's, it is, um, it is, it is tough to tell anybody to watch it. I will say, I don't think I could recommend it to anybody. Um, you know, rooting for Ari Aster. I want him to make movies. I thought hereditary was pure brilliance. I thought Midsummer was very strong. Like, I think if you were going, it would be like from like a 9.5 to like an 8.5 there. If I was just, you know, giving it a 10 point scale and this movie is like a W. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> like I don't know. It's a like it's like a weird uh, like it's just not like rateable. Like I I don't want to like sit here and you know break out the beakers and charts and graphs and lab coats and uh, science to tell you what's going on or whether this was good or bad. I do think one would do well to let it wash over you. I think it is. Um, it is just a. There's a lot of art there. Uh, there's an incredible amount of craft. If you like cinema, like if you like the art of of people making movies, irrespective of what the movie is, like is was this well wrought? Um, then this is outstanding for that, right? I mean, he's the things that he does there. We, you you had actually called it out. I think the second time it happened in the movie that there's these like slow pan ins that like slowly twist the camera that he does at certain points. Um, that is just an assured amount of patience behind the lens. You have to have wanted that shot and have dreamt of that shot. And it was impossibly difficult to make sure you had the steadiness to pull that camera in and everybody's got to do all this in one take. And it's all very, you know, and you know, and you could absolutely ask yourself for what, why the hell would you do that? You know? And I, (laughs) I, I can honestly say every time I talk about this movie, I don't know what for what, I don't know why we were here. Uh, in large measure, I think there is a, a pretty notable, uh, barely even subtext because it gets explicit by the end of just your mother hates you, whether you know that or not, and you were never good enough. And I think that's three hours of that, really. Um, but I, yeah. but I don't know. Like, uh, I mean, I think it starts to pull itself together. I've thought a lot about it. I've I've talked through a bunch of it. I've tried to kind of get 
some 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 sanity around it um which is a weird thing to say about this movie um but uh yeah and spiders are bad by the way i don't know if you knew that but spiders are not good things not a huge fan on spiders uh fully agree on that you know thinking about the craft uh, more so than his other two movies uh, you know i actually felt some it's kind of like david lynch got into a turn you into a fly machine with M night and Mm. some other horror director and the three of them just kind of merged because a lot of the craft, uh, especially like the slow, uncomfortable close shots, uh, you know, that, you know, I mentioned on, um, uh, knock at the cabin, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, and uh, definitely in servant, you know, he does a lot of those, like, um, where you've got the, dolly coming in on the camera at the same time you're pulling out you're just getting these like really uncomfortable like full face shots that are meant to offset you and then some of that gonzo weirdness that would be you know rabbits or lost highway or you know any of these like older david lynch kind of weird masterpieces uh Mm. you know i thought but from a purely craft standpoint it was far more linear than those Mm -hmm. things and so that's where you kind of pull apart from lynch and it didn't really have any gotchas and you know an m night sense in terms of storytelling you know i mean he had a storyboard from left to right on this uh, journey for this guy to get home and that's interesting that it was such a linear story and still so totally wackadoo and at times you know very hard to follow uh i think i said this when we were watching it I think it was an actor's dream. I, I feel mm. like everybody got a monologue or something to do that as an actor, they were going to put in their audition reels for the rest of their careers. Uh, you know, I mean, right down to, you know, the daughter in the car kind of pushing him to smoke weed, like her whole behavior, like her whole role and like both of those parents and, you know, the vet and, I mean, right down to the crazy tattooed guy, like in the beginning of the movie, like running full speed to try to get into the building. Like he's going to get a lot of work from that. Like he's going to, he's going to be booked when you need crazy, scary tattooed guy. Like that's going to be the one that you call. That's it. Um, That's it. So, yeah, I mean, but it really like, it brought me back to high school drama and the people who really went head over heels into that and really thought that just like, acting was the funnest thing ever and like it doesn't matter if they're weird and nobody really wants to talk to them because they're always just like spilling off on some you know weird tom stoppard play or some like nonsense and now they got their movie like he he made it and it's this and there are people in cosplay in the woods there are crazy murderous rioting people in the streets Uh, there's magical realism there are some very unpredictable practical effects uh, near the end that uh, i can honestly and earnestly say and i'm not going to spoil it but i i mean at this point it's a google away like i did not have that on my dance card like i was not prepared or expecting for that to be the case Mm so yeah um really weird movie like really hard to review um i do think all of the performances were tremendous as advertised but hard to digest what ari was trying to say beyond 
like you said, you are never good enough. Your mother secretly hates you and your therapist is probably lying to you. Yes. You had it. You had it. There, there was a, um, uh, cause I want to get your take on this there. Um, there's a, um, shout out to a guy, uh, Tom power. I don't know much about him. I guess he's a broadcaster and musician, Canadian dude. Um, and he has a show on YouTube called Q with Tom power. And he is one of the few Ari Oster interviews that I actually found that had Boas afraid, um, on there. Okay. And, uh, uh, he had talked about Ariaster talked about how he wrote this movie, Bo is Afraid, before Hereditary and before Midsommar. Um, this was his first, like one of his first scripts that he wrote, and he thought it was re- hysterical. He thought it was really funny, and he tried to get this movie made first, and could not. Really? And nobody would no. would get this movie made. Yeah, weird, right? And then he made Hereditary. That was it quite a hit for him in the horror genre, uh, Midsommar, maybe a little less so, you know, commercially, but critically, I think it hit similarly. Mm-hmm. And then he, he, lit- he just cops to it in this interview and he said, and so I had some goodwill that I could burn up to make this movie. <laughs> and that's, that's how I feel about it. Like how you and I were talking about, how do you actually get, money people producers like studios to like read this script and be like yeah man this is great yeah you should do this this is terrific i totally get it like who who are the money people who said that i'm with you i think the actors loved it loved the shit out of this this script they were all about this life but how did you get money people to be like yeah man that's cool i mean really he that's the only way i mean he had to he copped to that he just said I, I, I created some goodwill and then I lit it on fire. I, I, I moved on. I wonder what that means for him going forward. Right. Cause I feel like he got to play his little joke to uh, <laughs> the industry and get this fucking crazy ass acid trip of a movie out. But I think they're, I mean, even studios in are inherently risk averse. And I mean, I guess if we ever get out of the strikes, because maybe nobody will ever see a movie again, but assuming we get out of all those, he's got a little time here, but what, you kind of have to come back with something more down the middle of the road. Don't you like you? Cause I mean, he, he's not just going to get to keep riffing endlessly with the buckets of money that this thing costs to make because it, it, it was an expensive it had to be expensive like there's no way some of those sets and some of the ways that that was all constructed was were expensive probably more expensive than his other two movies if i had to guess um yeah so i don't know like how do you come back you don't you have to just don't you have to just make something that's more palatable after that like the studios would be like all right you got us all right whatever but come on come on come on now we need a movie movie please yeah, I, I think it would be good for him to do somebody else's work next. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's a place where a lot of these talented directors, writers, creators struggle. And I think studios are sometimes scared to give them those kinds of things. And I think now with, you know, three critical movies under his belt you know it's kind of a good place to take that breather and to sign on to just direct you know to Mm -hmm. just do somebody else's story before coming back to do something and so you know i would like to see that i would like to see his ability to collaborate and to give vision to a different story or a different written work um i don't know that we'll get that and yeah i think 
to some extent you need to bring it a little closer but you know Midsommar and even Hereditary were not exactly mainstream horror you know mm-hmm. Hereditary more so than Midsommar but that was like also kind of a weird slow burn you know psychological thriller with a lot of just odd stuff that was really well done but I think I would put it in the category of not for everyone mm-hmm. and I think there's some people and including horror fans who would have seen it and just sort of shrugged it off or felt that like it didn't hit those those beats you know we talk when we talk about horror and comedy and the way that you interact a lot with the audience and you know there's a rhythm to it there's uh, almost like a music to it where you know if you're playing something and slapping down a great beat you can get the whole audience you know clapping on two and four for you and you know the the jumps and the scares or the laughs uh, are happening when you screw up that paradigm and you can only screw up that paradigm if you get them clapping on two and four and you get that mm-hmm. rhythm ingrained and you can only give them a jump scare if the jump doesn't come on the downbeat, right? Sure. And I think Winsomer doesn't do that. It really eschews it entirely and isn't about that. You know, it's more of a deep set story of an enduring betrayal and mm-hmm. it projects it very early on and it sort of lets you in on the joke in an early way if you're paying attention to it um, because it's not trying to flip anything. It's not trying to scare you. It's trying to show you how we got from here to there. And so, yes, I mean, I think it would be hard to be more gonzo than Bo is afraid. Like, I just, I don't think there, I don't have a place for that. Uh, I don't know what that looks like. Uh, you know, we would be just full on cartoons all the time doing weird cartoony stuff or, you know, have to have theater seats that also, you know, farted noxious smells in your face at certain places and sprayed water on you, like to get any weirder than what mm-hmm. we had. Um, but I don't know if he has to go all the way there or if he set an identity for himself that when you want something weird, this is the guy you go to. And so he may just fill that kind of niche in Hollywood in a way that I think, you know, David Lynch, you know, in the 90s really also was that guy, you know, that we understood, you know, from his TV and his films and the stuff that he did, when it was time to watch something weird and cultish, like, that's the guy you get. I do wonder about that, too, because I think those guys do have some mainstream understanding at some point, but then they, don't they, it seems like, it seems like it's like this sort of uh, increasing entropy, where they, they understood how to make something that was a movie just with, like, a ton of flavor, like some real, real kick and real fun and real weird and real you know just full of flavor right uh, i think david lynch is a great analog because of twin peaks right now if you go back to twin peaks i know you haven't uh, unpacked that yet um but it is generally accessible it's fucking weird but it is generally accessible and i see why it was popular when he did twin peaks the return there is absolutely a groove where he gets super esoteric and strange. There's at least a couple episodes in there. Most of them really, but there's a couple that I can remember right now that were, were this kind of gonzo. Like they were just weird, maybe not with some of the more shocking elements of this, but 
but absolutely like just odd art pieces that you would just you know you would go to some you know broken down theater in soho somewhere to see this thing playing in black and white in the corner somewhere while you're sipping questionable drinks and talking to people with more piercings than i'll ever have like it, it, it like it's that kind of oddness that does it, it's like impenetrably undecipherable like there's just no like it's just i don't know what was going on in his head and he doesn't really care to tell me and that's sort of what this was right like i mean you can drape over the whole you know his mother hated him and every mother hates every kid and that's what this movie's about and if you don't know it you're just not paying attention like it I, I think if i had to drape something on top of it but i don't think that he cares if i do or not like i don't think that he cares that i'm trying to make sense of this thing i don't think he even wants me to i think it's a uh, it's it is just uh you know eye rattlingly shaking um of of the foundations of what like a story would be like when you said left to right like I mean, yes, it is a journey. It is that. But uh, I mean, in such a way that it ever told something to me other than what I just said, I have no idea. So I'm not sure. I, I think when you go back to Hereditary and you see that, yes, I mean, there's weirdness about it. But Hereditary is like a flavorful horror movie in a way that like a lot of horror movies are a little bit more down the middle in a way that you're right. And, they, they, I, and I've talked about this for a while now that I'm big into horror and have been for the last several several years because i and i wasn't at all as a kid but because i do love that partnership with the audience and that rhythm i i do think that hereditary is just like a super flavorful flavorful version of that like it's just a very like he's just a, doing some very weird things that end up being super uncomfortable and he does things other people won't even think about doing on the in in frame here because he just doesn't care. This is his first real horror movie and he's just going to fucking do it, man. And like, it's, it's, it is super uncomfortable. It's things that other people probably like thought about doing. They're like, nah, that's a little dark. I'm not doing that. And he's just like, yeah, I don't know, whatever. And like, I'm, I'm doing it. And it's, it's a horror movie, right? Like, aren't we happy to do horror? And so there's that. But then like, you know, Midsommar, maybe a little bit more meditative. I agree with that. But I think that there is still an arc there. I think it is, you know what I mean? Like, I think it, if you kind of took that, whole bunch of kids going on a you know trip over to nordic places to you know find a cult and you know see all the wonder beauty and eventual not so great shit that happens at a cult uh there's a dozen movies i could name that are like that right in the horror genre so it it, it subverts some of those expectations by being a little bit weirder and a little bit cooler but it is still that this is not anything like this isn't any of those things like this isn't i mean it is a journey right like he that, that this guy goes on it is beautiful um it is, and and his craft and the way that he does stuff is is there but um the explanations that you could give to somebody like i could tell somebody about those other two movies i could tell them basically what they're about if i were in a spoiling mood i could tell them the journey that these movies are actually about um but what do you say about Bo's Afraid other than it was just like art, like it was just something that just you just have to sit through and experience um, and that that maybe to me, I think, is is uh, is where it is very similar to David Lynch, where he's just like sort of gotten, I don't want to say drunk with power, but he he's decided to go. He's that way now. Like, that's what he's doing now. He's going to tell some weird shit that it doesn't have anything to do with you if you watch it that's cool if you don't watch it i don't give a fuck I'm like this is this is my this is my movie 
Yeah. Um, and that's, that's a weird thing to do just from a money perspective. I don't think art should be about money, but I do think that you need money for art. And so I don't know. I don't know. And sometimes you only need 50 cents and sometimes you need $50 million, but like you need something, right? Like you need a paintbrush, you need a, a guitar, you need a something, right? It's in order to create stuff. And so like you need a bucket that you flip upside down with some sticks so that you can make drum beats. Like you need something. Um, so it's not nothing. And I, I just, when you're in that machine of Hollywood, right? Like how do you, how do you continue to make more art in, in that machine or, you know, like, I mean, maybe he's just independently wealthy and he could just turn these out forever, but it doesn't seem like that. Cause he wrote this first and tried to get it made and couldn't. So, uh, that, yeah. um, yeah, I don't know. I think a very reasonable analog because I think, you know, I keep talking about high school drama, but really it is more college level drama, college level art school in particular, which is a lived experience I had. And, you know, I look at this movie and I, I would say to somebody, do you, and I'm going to choose my words carefully here. Do you tell people that you like free jazz? Mm. Do you tell people that you understand abstract art? Like, can you look at a Jack and Pollock painting and explain to me why he made the decisions that he made? If you believe either of those things, then this is a great movie for you because you will tell people that you understood it, that you grokked it, and they're just not smart enough. Mm. And it feels like that. And I think, I don't know, as much about abstract art and I'm not denigrating it. I think there are probably artists out there that put many years into their craft in making that stuff. And Jackson Pollock's just an easy pull because, uh, you know, he gets kind of ragged on a lot. You know, I think he's been dead for 50 years, but you know, it's like, Hey, look, my five-year-old made a Jackson Pollock, you, you know, with all mm -hmm. of this work. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that there are people out there who can tell me that, you know, while well, the shade of blue and the way, you know, this angle intersects with this angle is, uh, you know, pure masterful and, you know, take you 15 years of living in the desert to get there. And with free jazz, it's very much the, this is the art for the artists, right? You know, I'm closer to that and I hear enough of it having gone to school for it and, you know, earned a four-year degree in jazz because life is silly. Um <laughs> that I understand the underpinnings of what's going on, but it's not for anybody who's not playing it in that moment mm -hmm. or, you know, as close as I can get anyone who isn't trying to learn how to play it and transcribe it and, you know, pick it apart for its component parts. But it's not, it's not meant for an audience in any mm -hmm. sense other than, you know, going back to the fifties and sixties, the protest value of it in the same way, blank core death metal you know i know we don't want to keep making core a thing but you know pick your core mm -hmm. a lot of that isn't about it's sounding good it's about expressing rage or expressing a pure emotion or in some cases having something to turn on just to tell other people what you think about music right mm -hmm. and you know free jazz is kind of in that and i think this movie is in that kind of rubric there's a lot of craft in it and if you go to film school and you study how to set up shots and how to direct actors then all of that's there but the components some of the parts really is deeply personal and i think it would be one of those litmus tests for me if anybody approached me and said oh you didn't get it well yada 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 you're just not deep enough and you know you obviously this is what he was trying to say and i think mm -hmm. Ariasha would probably laugh at those people too Mm -hmm. yeah like it's yeah, really like it's art for art's sake and that's great and that's valuable and i think we need things that set the brackets for 
how far we can go and how much we can push an envelope because this then gives the next director to come out and try to write something more room to play with things with it still being acceptable within the context of a story and within the context of the depth of something that he can just throw something really grotesque up in an attic at some point and it'll make sense if it works for the story where I think before Bo's Afraid, maybe that goalpost was a little closer. Mm. So I think it's yeah. it's useful for those things and I don't think it was a bad movie and if you like weird ass shit and not knowing what's happening and you know yeah, a roller coaster of a movie it's worth watching but I don't know that I would say I endorse it sure uh, uh, you mentioned something with free jazz and I, I do want to kind of point it point towards it and get your your feedback on this I um, don't know if you know this but sometimes I'm a very judgy person about things uh, I I feel as though sometimes craft matters a lot in more esoteric things to me you mentioned jackson pollock and uh sure that looks like that dude's taking paint splatters and throwing it on a canvas and i don't think that he didn't have some kind of artistic vision i don't think he was completely just running off and 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 hoodwinking everybody i do think that he had a a groove but can you could you and i don't know anything about jackson pollock so maybe there's this huge trove of work that he's done into this into this effect but could jackson pollock sit down and paint a bowl of fruit could he do that can jackson pollock sit down and paint a sunset with some trees in front of it like is that something that that guy can do because there is something about free jazz and, and please correct me if i'm wrong about free jazz because i didn't get a four-year jazz degree so tell me if i'm right about that but is is there anything about like free jazz did, did you have anybody coming to free jazz that was a terrible jazz musician like i think that's maybe my question somebody who like really couldn't play the saxophone or the trumpet or anything but definitely was all into free jazz they were just awful they were absolutely terrible they were worse at trumpet than i am who i was never blown into a trumpet before but they loved free jazz or was it really people who were like quite uh quite trained and good at the actual art of jazz vanilla jazz 1.0 that then have graduated to free jazz because now that vanilla jazz the bebop and the you know all that stuff is behind them now that's all for kids and we've moved to free jazz or both is it are they both I think the the snotty but probably true answer is that yes, there are shitty musicians who have tried, but you would be able to tell the difference. Um, you know, and I I hate that answer because I don't want to be classist and say, well, sure, you'll know the difference if you just go to school for four years for it, because that's a bad right. answer. But I think you know the Jackson Pollock is a good, and he has. Um, if you look for you know his non-drip work, you know before he got famous for the drip stuff, uh, he's a fantastic painter. Like he mm. actually does know his craft, and there are a few works out there that are really deep and recognizable as art, and you know in various styles. Uh, so you know I think on that that is more of the idea that you are graduating you know the people who actually do free jazz and uh, you know you have um 
Coleman, Eric Dolphy, and John Coltrane. Um, Coltrane did Interstellar Space, and you know because he's got such a body of work and is arguably you know one of the greatest jazz musicians who ever lived. You can hear him on Miles Davis's Kind of Blue. You know he's on some of those tracks, uh, playing alto, playing you know really in the pocket on a very mellow classic jazz album, and actually getting his but handed to him by uh, Cannonball Adderley on a couple of the tracks, which is probably the last time that that ever happened. Um, mm. And then you can hear through his discography, you know, his growth until you get to something like Interstellar Space, where it's just him and a drummer. And it's like, that's a good name for that album. Like he, cause that's where we're at, man. We are like way, we spun off this rock and we're better for it. And so I think, you know, and Eric Dolphy, like you can also go back, you know, he's probably better known for free jazz because he didn't have, you know, this body of work across the entire history of jazz that Train did. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can sort of dig in there and you can hear it. You can hear the progress and the development in, and I, th- and I say you can hear that as in like, even somebody who's just picking up these albums for the first time with no real history of jazz. You can listen to the earlier stuff and, you know, two and four, snap along, like hear the bebop, like hear playing in the cracks, uh, you know, maybe playing with some harmonic intrigue here, you know, as you're going, but basically, you know, harmonically engaged in the song. And when you're soloing over a standard, you can hear the changes going by and then you can hear as they extend that and extend that and extend that until you get to something that, isn't you know they're kind of leaving the rest of us behind and moving to making music for themselves but they're still hearing it you know they're not just pushing buttons which would be somebody who's not very good at music is just like picking up a trumpet or saxophone for the first time and just doing this and seeing what comes out and they're not doing that and they're mm-hmm. still living within the rhythmic and harmonic world of western mm-hmm. music but they're doing it in a way that Again, they've reached a point where it's music for musicians and cool if you want to listen, but really, you know, again, if you didn't spend your life learning it and training your ears, it's a different language and it is unfortunately snobby and inaccessible. And that's okay because there's lots of other music that isn't. And it's totally fine if musicians or artists want to do things for themselves too, um, especially in a world like jazz where. You know, they don't have a custodial duty to only make music that is harmonically easy, Mm. you know, and like Mm -hmm. they're not demanding that anybody buy it. It's not on the curriculum of, you know, a school band program. It's for those guys, you know, who spent, you know, 12 hours a day for 30 years learning this one thing. And, you know, they have kind of transcended to a place where, you know, even I may not be able to join them education aside and you know for those times that i do it's purpose driven like i'm not going to just pop on a free jazz album on my commute because like i need to sit down get my knuckles white and like really pay attention and take notes and study because it is work because i'm not the one doing it so Mm. i think all of this is kind of in that realm and i'm gonna try to stick this landing because we're talking about interstellar space yeah i was gonna grab it if you didn't dude it was just hanging there it was hand if, you, if you're not gonna listen to interstellar space you should visit it 
Ah, I love it. I'm so happy that happened. Um, so yeah, this is our other big one for this week. Starfield. Mm, I am, big. I think about 16 to 20 hours in. I didn't look at my last count. I think yeah. you've got okay. a good six hours in where you're at. Yeah. Four ish to five ish somewhere in there. It's pretty, pretty early for me. Pretty early. Yeah. Um, that is, that is a, that is a Bethesda game. Um, you had told me that, uh, just before I got to spin it up for the first time and you said just, so nobody's selling you any smoke here. This is, this is a Bethesda ass Bethesda game. Um, so I'll probably have some less commentary than you here. Um, I, uh, don't mean to not be uh, as chatty as I should be on a podcast, but I, I am only, you know, I, I had gotten to the point in the very intro of the game where you're going through the intro mission, you get all the normal things that would be part of a tutorial. You get a, a gun, you get a ship, you get a, you go to a place, you do some fast travel and you get to be part of one of the factions, which is called constellation. Yep. And, yeah. uh, that's kind of where I stopped. Um, uh, as somebody who's only briefly put my hands on other Bethesda games, you can absolutely tell that those are the same people that are driving this, this, this truck. And that is the same as the same folks. Um, it is, uh, it's very ambitious. It is interesting. Some of the choices that they made about this, I will say, um, I think, um, well, let me start with that. That's what I think. It's a Bethesda Bethesda game. You were right. Um, I think it, uh, I've got some other thoughts on it, but, but tell me how you feel about Starfield. All right. So I love it and I'm unabashedly a fan of Bethesda games. I mm -hmm. devoured Oblivion. I devoured Skyrim, um, Fallout. I, so I didn't do New Vegas, I think, you know, the one that was uh, pitched as multiplayer and then they retconned it to be single player. Oh, uh, 76. 76. 76, that's the one. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I'm otherwise pretty complete on my Bethesda world. And so the idea of this as a Bethesda game is fine. It's comfortable for me. And you know, reading some of the early reviews, I think unfairly a lot of people are still mad that it isn't no man's sky that mm. you know so the basic concept of moving from place to place you know there's a, a thousand worlds in this universe that you can explore with enormous maps and a whole lot of area that you can walk around and get very very lost on um, there are also many points of more significant interest both in space and on planets cities developments places to travel. And so the way they designed the travel is really very much like Mass Effect. Uh, you know, mm. I think the way you're jumping around from planet to planet, location to location is very much that and not, not even trying to be a no man's sky. And they never claimed that it was. There's no early interview where they said you can fly down to any planet, you can blast off from any planet. Um, and so you really have these two modes. You're either on a planet doing some stuff and you're landing on the planet by clicking the place you want to go and then touching down and then it's going to be a loading screen and it'll put you where you want to be and you have a lot of freedom in where you choose to set down they give you points of interest and you can land close to those or you can just pick a spot on the planet and drop down on it um 
And the other mode is being in space where you have a lot of flexibility and customization of your ship. Uh, I'm actually happier with the actual space combat than I thought I would be. Mm-hmm. You know, there's mm-hmm. a lot of, there's decent physics in it. There's a decent collection of weapons, uh, but there's also an interesting resource management component to it where you've got, you know, your power source and then you've got however many weapons you have. You've got your engine speed, your grav drive, and you've got your shields. And in real time, you can reallocate resources. So you can beef up your shields at the expense of speed or weaponry. You can pull your grav drive offline to really pound on someone, but you're not going to be able to jump out of trouble if that happens. Mm-hmm. And so there's like a lot going on. And then as things are happening, if you have ship parts or resources, if you're getting your butt handed to you, you can actually cannibalize those to do repairs to your ship on the fly. And so that's a very good mechanic. It felt very natural and made a lot of sense. And when I was getting my clock cleaned, I felt like I deserved it. You know, I was just going into something that I was outmatched for and outgunned. Um, but, Can I also put yeah. put in a side note right there that it, is this exactly where you want an iPad that's right next to you on the couch so that you could have just those ship controls so that you could swipe up and down on those ship controls? Uh, ask that again. I'm not understanding. Like if, if you had a uh, if you had a, a like a control surface that was like sitting just to the left of you on the couch and you had all the controls for your grav drive and your guns and your missiles and your everything. And you could literally swipe up and down and you could do that with your left hand while you were flying. I think uh, I would want that very much. Yeah, that would be very cool. Like now that I get it. Yeah. I mean, they dedicate the D pad to it, but you're still kind of like scrolling through and having like a dedicated control surface would be great because sometimes you really do have two hands on your guns and you're strafing around and you're flying around and you're doing real combat. Um, so or you know what would be even better you'd be even better is a a bank of six faders like you have yeah. uh, so that when you that are motorized so that when you move one up the other ones have to go down so you're automatic mm-hmm, like it automatically mm-hmm. knows what to do i mean it's really only useful for this for part of this game that's right i will buy one if somebody makes it totally uh that is the um next extended edition that they're going to put out for sure the 700 dollars um, version yeah, so I kind of want to close the loop on this idea that, you know, some of these reviews are really attacking the fast traveling and saying that it's kludgy because I find it delightful. You know, I'm able to call up where I want to go if I'm critical pathing and I'm looking to find a place. And without having traveled somewhere first, I can get there without having to like spend an hour walking, which all of the previous Bethesda games, you could fast travel to any place you'd been. But you Mm -hmm. could not fast travel to new places. And here I can call up a planet in a star system. I can jump to it and then I can click on the planet and go to the point of interest that I want to go to. And as somebody who's put thousands of hours into role-playing games, I think that's a feature, not a bug. I don't understand the criticism of that. I think it's one of the most elegant travel systems I've ever seen in a game Mm -hmm. of this size. And all of these environments are unique. You know, I've seen a lot of talk about how bland it is, but each mission, each place I've been to where I've had conflict or contact has been unique. The interior maps of the levels are all wholly unique and 
Um, so I'm going to give two examples of missions that really delighted me. And there are actually two examples from this same mission, so I'm not going to name it, but going to just kind of give you an overview of what you're doing. So having started the game, you understand the main thread involves getting these artifacts in one way or another. And so relatively early on, you get a lead for an artifact that is being sold to the highest bidder. And one of the people in Constellation is setting it up because it's on a world where he's got business. And so you're going as the muscle to kind of facilitate this backroom deal to try to get this artifact. And, you know, you go into this club. This is on um, Nova, which is kind of like very steampunky planet that's... Uh, neon? Neon? Neon, yeah. Of course, Neon. Yep, that's correct if you want to name things correctly. <laughs> um, uh, so... You know, basically the mission is meet with this guy, get the thing, and get out. And because this is a role-playing game with a capital R, you have a lot of flexibility in how you do that. So you can find this person and blow their brains out and get the artifact and then figure out a way off-planet without everybody, you know, coming after you in law enforcement. Um, you can enter into negotiations and then you still have to get out. So in my playthrough, you know, they have you kind of case the place and where you're going to do the meeting and, you know, they give you different things that you can do. You can talk about maybe buying off security. So if things go south, you know, they're on your side and sort of bribing them. Uh, you can look into taking over the controls for the room so you can lock the doors and make sure like in the meeting, if things go south, the guy with the artifact can't leave. Uh, you can choose to disarm and sit. You can choose to keep your weapons on you. And like, so there's all of these choices. And I was able to talk my way through the negotiation, get the artifact. And then as we leave, there's another interested party that stops and is ready to just start shooting. And based on the way I'd kind of stacked my persuasion skills, I had some dialogue options that weren't otherwise available. And there's kind of a persuasion mini game that you can use. And so I was able to do that, which was cool. And then getting out, they was one of the most interesting gaming experiences I've ever had because of the paths I took, the person I was with, their partner was on comms with us and pulled up um, the map of the place where we were and was talking us through how to get through undetected. And so like mm -hmm. she was taking control of things, just like, okay, just in front of you, make a quick right, and there's an elevator. I'm going to bring it down to the floor below, and you should be able to just hop over to the other side. Now, if you look ahead, just above you, there should be a vent. If you can climb up through there, and like I'm climbing up through the vent, and I said, okay, um, wait one second. There's a guard walking by. Okay, he's gone. Drop down. The room is clear. Wait, somebody's coming. Get behind. There should be um, you know, a hallway to the right. And like I'm running to the hallway to the right, and like I'm following these instructions and following these instructions and I get to this one part where, you know, it's like, okay, there's two robots. It looks like they're turning. I want you to just, I didn't wait. And she was telling me to wait and I popped my head out and the robot spun around and saw me and bedlam, like everything just wow. broke loose. And that then led to other interactions further down the line where I had to make a decision on the guy I bought the thing off of and mm -hmm. what's crazy is if i had gone in guns blazing 
none of that would have happened. Like I wouldn't have had that whole experience because I would have been getting out hot and I wouldn't have had the opportunity to have like this audible, like, you know, walk through very like spy cloak and dagger. Like I just wouldn't have experienced that because I would have been blasting my way out of there. And I wouldn't have experienced a decision to make with this other guy because I would have already taken him out. And this game gives you the freedom to do those things, to have experiences that are totally yours in an unparalleled way that's beyond, do you want to hack the console or do you want to use your gun or do you want to sneak through, you know, this radiator? You know, like it's deep, it's rich. You know, there's another small situation. You know, I've really been pushing persuasion and trying to take a relatively bloodless path wherever I can, where I'm asked to intervene on a bank robbery and I'm giving a, given a key to get in through the back door. And I decided instead to just walk up to the front door and start talking to the people who had the hostages. And mm-hmm. I talked my way in and I talked my way in with my weapons and was able to disarm the situation just based on that without doing this kind of bloody taking out all of these guys. Or I think one of the options would have been to get them to get their selves out. And I didn't quite have, you know, the right persuasion tree to talk them all the way out. So I was able to talk my way in instead. Uh, So, like, that's wonderful. Like, that's just that level of freedom, that level of richness is great in a game. And I think maybe very hard to talk about. It's certainly going to be tough to build walkthroughs around because there's so many different ways of doing it. And what's really special about it is that all of this is dialogue written for all of these different things and all of these permeations. And you can have any number of different companions with you from Constellation or anywhere that you've picked up and their dialogue is going to change and their responses to what you're doing are going to be different. You know, some crewmates might be a little more bloodthirsty than others and some might, you know, be peace loving and everywhere in between. They'll have different skills they bring to it. You know, they get different dialogue options depending on who they are. And so the four dimensional chest of building a game like this where you have to account for you know, 64 different possibilities in every interaction so that you can actually play the role that you want to is mm-hmm. really wonderful. And I think all of the reviews that are even a little bit negative on this game are just absolutely wrong. Yeah, I, I, I am, I, I am like stunned by just the project management of what you just said, like thinking about how to like, like, type out a document that says if you do this then this and if that happens then these five trees are open but these four are not and if you pick one of these legs that's going to be a problem and like you so then you could have done this part but the the amount of as many role-playing games as there are out there that allow you to play a role it's so interesting for them to actually like write in explicit like paths for you based on what you decided to do like and and voiced dialogue which is you know it's why a lot of these not a lot of them but a a portion of these are text driven only right as opposed to to uh to to having a a full voice because having that be dynamic is is uh, crazy do you think that i'm sure they don't use that here to any large degree although my name is captain tim on in this game and it knew that just by me typing tim so it, it like actually says the word tim uh whenever somebody needs to say tim um 
So there's some kind of uh, speech to, to or text to speech engine that understands some some words. Is like, what, what did you name your captain? By the way, does it do that for you? I don't know if it does that. It doesn't. Yeah, I went with my gamertag Kadir, and okay. it just uh, I don't get that. So maybe I can change my name and yeah, force. Yeah, it I thought to, that was kind because kind of cool. interesting. I, I know um, what was it? Forza, one of the Forza Horizon games. Like it gives you a list of names that it will definitely say, um, and so uh, you know you can choose that. Which you know I thought was probably the only way they would ever fix this. But this obviously didn't give me a list. I just typed in in the text box Tim, and it understood that. But um, anyway, do you think that? Starfield 2 or whatever does this next do you think that there is room for AI to to kind of blow the lid off of what's happening here I mean there's a lot of bespoke work that's happening right and I don't think AI is a magic bullet for almost anything don't get me wrong but I I think because I think you do have to make sure AI is smart enough to figure it out but even if you did bespoke stuff I'm sure these are systems that you could break if you tried hard enough so do you think there's a future for AI to make that sort of thing even even more flexible, right? Like even more uh, situationally aware in a way that like just bespoke writing just couldn't. Yeah, I, I think the the blocker is the voice acting on a game like this. You know, I think if you had a more 16-bit or 8-bit game where a lot of the dialogue was text, you probably could get a lot farther with even our mm-hmm. current language models and kind of, you know, I mean... Just like you and I have done, you know, write me a sequel to Bo is Afraid and, you know, takes a stab at it and it does it. So you could say, you know, write me a scenario with these pirates on this planet that we've landed on and it could do, do it and do, do it on the fly. Do you think the sequel to Bo is Afraid as told by ChatGPD would have Mariah Carey in it or not? I, In my heart, I'd like to say yes. In my head, I believe no. Got it. Great. Please continue. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I, I think you could, but I think the level of immersion, the fact that every bit of dialogue is spoken in this game would be hard you know, and that's really, uh, that's quite a testament. You know, I don't know how many voice actors they had, how many lines of dialogue they have, because you're also picking up submissions, just like walking by two people talking in the street. And there's a lot of them. Like it's almost overwhelming. Like everybody's got some issue and, I'm going to say it's pretty bad for a Virgo out there because, <laughs> you know, if you're trying to solve everybody's problems, you're just like, what? Rats in the cellar. I better go take care of that. Wait, your ramen was cold? Allow me to go talk to the chef. Like, it really is like all kinds of nonsense happening all the time. It's just like, bleep, 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 bleep. Like, and it just kind of keeps a log anytime you overhear something. Um, and there's, you know, even in there, I had picked up, I think, a, a data pad pretty early on that took me on a side mission that ended up getting me a brand new ship uh, that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if I hadn't, you know, seen that data pad and clicked it to see what it is, you know, I mean, yes. like that would have never happened and I wouldn't be flying around mm-hmm. in this just like marauder of a spaceship that is way better than what I started with. So um, wow, there's awesome. a lot of intrigue and chance to that. And yeah, I think you can improve the procedural generation models to a pretty significant chance, but I think you run into the concern that when you don't curate that, when you don't have human hands, it may not be satisfying or good. You know, it'll Mm -hmm. be more, and I'm sure Ubisoft is already working on those models for the next Assassin's Creed game because they just love missions, more missions, more content. But I think 
something like this works because of the amount of love, because of the amount of care, because of the way all of it stays true to the universe and is unique. You know, that was like the first Mass Effect. You had all of those missions where you'd do these raids and the actual building that you entered was actually the same geometry. And sometimes they would like move the crates around, but it was super unsatisfying to like do these side quests where, you know, you're landing basically at the same building and doing the same thing over and over again. And that's not here. You know, that's Mm -hmm. where I think people are missing is every place I've been has been a unique map. The enemy AI is frankly great. Uh, Mm. You know, I haven't mentioned that yet, but in fire counters, they back each other up. They take cover when they need to. Uh, I saw one guy in one mission who I shot up and he just huffed it and he started running away from me and running away from me until he got to where 12 of his buddies were and he ran me right into there for cover. And like it was two levels down and all the way around. And it was the sort of thing that was very human. You know, if you were playing like a human squad, you would know where your buddies were camped and, mm-hmm. you know, you wouldn't necessarily think that the AI who spawned in this part of the level would have the wherewithal to path it all the way back to where he would get the fire support when it was like clear across the other side of the board. And That's he did. Incredible. So I thought like, I was really impressed by that. I haven't seen that in a ton of games where like, I mean, he took me on a good five minute chase throughout the level, trying to uh, believing that he was the last dude. And they just lit me up like they had positions and they made it a challenge. Wow. That's great. That's really great. Um, some feedback. I know we're getting up to our hour here and we'll probably wrap up shortly. Some feedback about it that I, I didn't, uh, I don't know that the, the, for, for some constructive criticism for them, I, I don't think that the tutorializing in those first couple of hours is my favorite. I think that it's a little, um, it's a little obtuse. It's a little text heavy. doesn't re- really hold your hand all that much. Um, I don't know that all games have to, this game is very systems and mechanics heavy. So I would, I would have appreciated more of that. I feel like they could have kind of like paused the action more, showed me this, showed me that pulled out a little bit more like some of it is like I couldn't even tell if it was like part of the UI or just more tutorializing sometimes because it was like so embedded in what was going on and there really just needs to be like floating windows or you know trotting out a Muppet that points at things on the screen like something that would like really kind of dumb it down a little bit because I felt like I was like just being railroaded into all these systems that like I it wasn't wasn't particularly clear like it wasn't unlocking for me very very quickly i figured it out i've played enough video games that i could just push through it and and i know that you know if i need something it'll i'll find it or i'll hit you know i'll hit the the uh i'll go look at the controls and i'll figure it out i've had to do that before in other games but for something so polished and so big and with all the money of microsoft behind it i i was kind of surprised at how um just a little kludgy some of that tutorial stuff was it was not uh, at a at the level of polish, the tutorializing and the onboarding was not great um, for me. Um, not awful, but just not great. It was very Spartan, very very mm, kind of you know, yeah. like it almost like assumed that you had played a Starfield before, and it was just sort of like pushing you through some of that. Um, again, not the end of the world. I just felt like I could. It could have been nicer. Like the onboarding could have been nicer and easier to and more. You know, sometimes the fonts were just folded in like i said it's just some things that just felt a little bit kludgy there um but but i uh but I, I, overall that's probably the only feedback i have so far I, other than that i've i've had a 
terrific time with it. I, I really have to catch up to you and get some, some good hours behind me so that I can speak more intelligently about some of the story stuff with you. But, um, but, uh, but yeah, that would be my one feedback. Do you have any feedback for them yeah, about things yeah, you'd like I, to see? I, I think it's exactly that, you know, there are a lot of systems. They don't really explain leveling early on. And, uh, you know, the thing is, it's unlike prior games. You know, one of the nice things about the prior games is, you know, if you did a lot of work with pistols, like you'd be leveling up your pistols. And, you know, if you did a lot of psychic stuff or magic, you know, you'd be leveling that up. And that was in Fallout, that was in Skyrim. And here you just level up and then you apply your points in a little bit of a more traditional way. But mm -hmm. to level up from one to two for example one of the first things everybody should level is the jetpack because you mm -hmm. can't use mm -hmm. a jetpack until you put the point on it but then once you do that you have to use it a certain number of times in combat to be able to level it again and so ah, like okay. each level has a challenge and you have to complete the challenge before you get to put another point on it and like with pistols it's you know kill 15 people with pistols, then you can get to level two. So the first one's always free. And then the tiers, a little more traditionally, like whether it's tech or physical or, you know, science or whatever it is, you've got to use at least four points in one tier to get to the second tier. So mm, if there's something that you really want on that tree, you've got to spend enough points to get there. And so you've got to kind of plan that out. And I think any role-playing game with a detailed skill tree should very clearly explain to you what the rules of the game are. Because mm, you can exactly. say, well, I'm going to level my pistol up four times and then do it. And you know, I end up sitting with one or two points in the bank because I'm trying to complete challenges and you know, I didn't think ahead. And so now I've got to go and you know, space jump a certain number of times or do this a certain number of times so that I can get to spacesuit design so I can start customizing my spacesuit. And so I think I largely agree with you. Like a lot of the systems in the game aren't very well explained um the other complaint i have is i believe that your storage capacity is inadequate and like your encumbrance like like walking around and stuff yeah like it's it's too low to start and even your ship is pretty limited and they don't it's a bit of a hike to get to places where you're going to sell stuff like mm. there's not villages all over the place you know you've got to go to one or two cities to you know trade and get rid of goods and get new goods but the way the loot works there are uh, so many different kinds of ammo and that means that because there are so many different kinds of ammo and ammo is a finite resource you usually want to keep lots of different kinds of guns around so that you can use whatever ammo you're picking up off of people and mm -hmm. have you know your preferred thing so even if you're being real judicious, you're going to have, you know, six to a dozen different weapons on you at any given time. And that's like half of what you can carry. You know, you sure. add a second spacesuit to it uh, and a couple of resources, which also have weight and you're done. Sure. And so things Can't just move. fill up a little too quick. And I feel that they fill up faster than you can level that if it's important to you. Okay. So that's kind of just a general complaint that I don't recall really running into previously. Like at least there was always a chest somewhere, you know, a home or someplace where you could stash stuff and not deal with the personal encumbrance as much. 
Yeah, I wonder if they can patch something like that in, because that sounds like, especially with interstellar travel, you really do want to be able to bank a bunch of this stuff and put it away when you're not using it. Like, at least, like, maybe just a magical chest on your ship or something. Yeah, and there's a chest on your ship, you can, and they let you upgrade the storage, but it's also limited, and, like, there are just so many resources and so many things in the game that even keeping a judicious amount, like, I don't know if I'm going to need this polymer for crafting down the road and I got no other place to put it and I'm not going to get rid of it because if I do want to craft something that uses this thing, that's going to be a titanic pain in the butt. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yes, yeah, some way of adapting that system would probably be my, my, my only concern. Yeah. I would say that they should Vasco who's following around all the place. Like he should just be a super chest. You could put everything in Vasco. That's my, that's, that's how I say they fix it. He's a, he's a nice robot and he can hold things for you. That's what you I like it. I I do like that. Uh, Vasco is the guy. He's the guy. He's the guy. Well, we hit, uh, important pieces of media this week. I think, uh, next week's probably going to be a whole bunch more Starfield for anybody who's, uh, interested in our trajectory there, um, uh, through the stars. But, um, but yeah, I think that, uh, that should, uh, kind of take us, take us home for the weekend. Sounds awesome. I will get another 40 hours of Starfield in by next week, and hopefully you'll get your first 40 in. Perfect. We'll do it. All right. See everybody next week. Bye.